0: Lord, we were, we were purchased, we were redeemed, we were reconciled, hallelujah, we were lost but now we're found, we were left to our own devices in, in sin, yet you came, your son lived among us, he gave his life for us. He knows, he understands, and yet he loves. And we're so grateful and we're so thankful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For who you are, for what you have done, and we look forward to what you will do, not only in the distant future, in the near future, in our lives, we thank you and we praise you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So, in my shop, uh, I have a container of a liquid. It's a it's a tube about yay high and about yay big around, and it's something that I, I put old rotten. Uh, wood that's falling apart in and this liquid, I then uh, attach that to a, uh, a vacuum pump and it draws all of the gases out of the wood. You'd be amazed uh, at the amount of uh, gas that's in a piece of, of, of wood. So anywhere after 2 to 24 hours, I'll turn the vacuum off and then what happens is, is that liquid then penetrates back into the wood at a cellular level. Then I apply heat to it, not much, about 200 degrees for about 30 minutes, and what it does is that liquid then forms into a a hard plastic. But it's clear, and it's at such a deep level that you don't even recognize that anything's been done to the wood at all. It's perhaps a shade or two darker, that's all. So that catalyst that... uh, is uh, used the heat takes that liquid and it stabilizes the the wood. so now instead of something that I could literally uh, crumble apart in my hands, I can put on a lathe and I can turn it into something beautiful. and that's one of my hobbies to take broken uh, discarded and useless things and turn them Uh, into things of beauty. So this this pen, for example, is made from... I know you can't see it uh, uh, from there, but that's all right. It's made from six different segments of a uh, a window, the header over a window in an Italian building that was abandoned probably uh, 500 or more years old. I don't know that the wood was that old, but the building... Certainly uh, was, and that wood was completely useless until I processed it. And when I do that, in a way, I I feel like I'm doing the work of God. In it, really, in in taking, uh, exchanging uh, beauty for ashes, or, or or beautiful wood for something that was crumbling. Except for instead of working with wood, God works with us. God specializes in taking your brokenness and in making you something, someone beautiful. Now, I don't know if you've noticed it or not. Perhaps you have. You've certainly noticed it in others. And if you have keen awareness, you've noticed it in yourself. We have a flair for messing things up even when we feel like we've done everything right somebody else comes along and and then messes it up uh, for us and so we i mean we do we do things we we say the most awful things sometimes to the people who are closest uh, to us and we are desperate for their attention but we're pushing them away at the same time we make purchases that aren't necessary we do but because we have a little bit of money in the bank, we'll do it just so that we can feel powerful, even though we feel actually powerless. We look self-sufficient on the outside, and most of us try to. We do. It's just the way our culture has pressed us into that mold. We, we want to look like we're independent and that we're able to handle all things that come to us, but we're anything but. I mean, we even hide ourselves uh, from other people. In 1977, um, Dan Hill became famous for writing a song, Sometimes When We Touch. Now, when you look at the lyrics, it's, it, they're profoundly sad. You ask me if I love you, and I choke on my reply. I'd rather hurt you honestly than mislead you with a lie. And who am I to judge you on what you do or say? I'm only just beginning to see the real you. And sometimes when we touch, the honesty's too much, and I have to close my eyes and hide and, and hide. Even in our deepest, most profound relationships, we hide from one another. We want to be known, but at the same time, we fear that if you really knew me, that you would not accept me, that you would turn aside. When I went to my first... Uh, and it was the first one, uh, Dr. Minrith and Meyer. Dr. Minrith was a very detailed man. Dr. Uh, Meyer was not. But they were both psychiatrists. They were both medical docs, so they were both very smart. I walked into my first class. He has his head on an overhead projector. You know what an overhead projector is. You remember those days? So he has his head on an overhead projector laying there, and you see the outline of his head up on the screen. And so he lay, he's, he's like this until the class is full. And then as the class is uh, full and the doors are closed. He said, if you could see what was in my head, you would not let me teach you. And then he said, but if I could see what was in your head, I wouldn't want to teach you. you know? So we all have these kinds of things in, in our minds to include our relationships not hiding our eyes simply from the other. We hide our eyes from ourselves. I want us to have a deep and abiding sense. That the heart is deceitful above all things. And we ourselves, as, 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 as high as we may think of ourselves, we are sinners saved by grace. If you know Jesus Christ that's what you are. And even though we specialize in messing things up, God specializes in something else. We sang it in the song. He purchases, He redeems, He reconciles. He's a a restoring, redeeming, reconciling God. And the God that, that we serve, the God of the Bible, desires that every Every human being who's alive or who has ever lived come to him. Now, we know that won't happen. So does he. But that doesn't change the desire. He is the one who is close to us even when we feel he's distant. He wants to look at us in our eyes. But we don't. We rarely do. We can't, we can't take the gaze And that's okay. But the thing is, is we can gaze a little bit longer. Even through our hands, maybe like this, when we understand the full extent of our restoration and our redemption and our reconciliation in Christ. The truth is everyone tends to drift away from a close connection with God This is a daily thing. Every single day. You know, there's no such thing as a static relationship. You do know that. Your relationship with anyone in your life is either advancing or retreating. There's no such thing as static. You may think it's static, but it's not. If you think it's static, it's going the wrong way. I guarantee you. The same is true with our relationship with God, it is on the move. And we need to be moving forward, and it takes this daily, daily time with Him. Now, our story today comes from the book of Second Chronicles 29. It's mentioned elsewhere, but I'm just going to focus on a few verses here. And in fact, I'm really just going to focus on a couple of things. Anyone's life that you get into that has any uh, biographical uh, sketch of any uh, depth or meaning, and you could spend uh, weeks, perhaps months there. We're going to spend a few minutes in second chronicles twenty nine It's a story of a king, a king who brought redemption and restoration to Israel. A- and you have to understand that in order for him to do that, Israel had already have had to turn away and they did. Under Ahaz, what a uh, what a brilliant king he was. Uh, Hezekiah was the thirteenth king uh, of Judah. That was some two hundred years after uh, Solomon had built and dedicated the temple. But his father Ahaz, this guy was, I would estimate, the worst king Israel ever had. Uh, and that, there are a number of reasons for that, but one. One in particular. He only ruled 16 years. But you know in 16 years. He stopped. Yahweh uh, worship. At least publicly. He closed down the temple. He turned the temple into a warehouse. A warehouse. And padded. Locked the door. So that no one could get in there. And take out the stuff. I mean this guy was quite the guy. But. He also did some this is why I say he 's the worst well, wow, he did a lot of bad things. He established idols in all the villages and the towns, but in first chronicles or second chronicles twenty eight three he sacrificed some of his own children that 's just in a, a stunning thing for a king of Israel to sacrifice his own children to a pagan. I didn't even want to use the word deity. What would you use? Idol. He was so despised when he died that they didn't even bury him with the other kings. They said, no, this dude, is. he's, he's an outlier. He's the most rotten king we've ever had. And I would estimate that he was the most rotten father as well. He was an awful leader. He was dedicated to the worship of Asheroth and Baal. And what a miserable wretch of a human being he was. Scripture summed up his life this way. This is a summary. He gave himself over to every kind of wickedness. That's what the Bible says of him. He gave himself over to every kind of wickedness. And when he died, Hezekiah, his oldest son, was 25 years old. Now, here's how Scripture sums up Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 29.2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Wow. There are a lot of stories I could tell about Hezekiah's life but uh, I'm only going to focus on this summary here and a few questions that arise from it for me. How in the world did such an ungodly man, an ungodly father, a wretch of a human being, opposed to God, opposed to his people, opposed to his worship, produce a son like Hezekiah? And I will tell you the answer right now in your hearing. It's profound. I don't have a clue. (laughs) But there are some lessons that we can learn. One is this. Your past, your past does not determine your future. Your past, your heritage no matter how bad it may be or have been, does not determine your destiny. Revelation twenty two seventeen 17 says this, Whosoever will may come to the Lord. Who's whosoever? I'm going to say that that's you, and I'm going to say that that's me, and I'm also going to say that it's whosoever will can do this. Salvation is not about genealogy. It's not about the blood that flows in your veins. It's about the Christ in your heart. And that's what determines your destiny. Nobody, nobody, nobody comes from a perfect family. Uh, but your past does not have to determine your future, your, your, your destiny. It's about choice and the choice that you have before you every week for believers and those who have, uh, are, are searching and seeking and perhaps have not made a decision yet, that it remains the same. Will you or will you not follow Jesus? That's for all of us. For some in salvation, for some in sanctification, for some in the way that we live our lives. But the choice is always the same and the invitation is always there With us. If that's your choice. If you choose to follow Jesus. Then your past. Will not. Hold you back. That sometimes we. uh, We do allow. Our past to hold us back. I know I have. And if that's you. Today. I've got some good news. Because God gives you. A new identity. And the ability, not even the ability, He performs a transformation in you that's staggering. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us that in Christ we are a new creation. New identity is in Him. We are loved. We are forgiven. We're no longer condemned. There's a, there's a song I hear on, on the radio from time to time and the lines i i actually it confused me at first because it didn't sound quite right it's it says failure won't define me uh, that's what my father does and i'm going what what, what you? and then and then you go oh oh well i get it failure is not the agent of definition god is Failure doesn't define you, God defines you, and God says that you are forgiven. He says, listen to this, you are holy, you are redeemed. And when we allow the guilt and the shame from our past to overwhelm us and define who we are, then it cripples us spiritually. We are limited. And when we are limited, Satan rejoices. You didn't think Satan could rejoice, did you? Well, he does at our infirmity, it's especially spiritual infirmity. Now, it, now it's, I, I need to pause here for just a second to understand a little bit between the difference of the guilt and shame uh, over the past and present uh, and how that weighs you down and disables and leads to a, a deeper shame kind of a, a cycle but conviction by god's spirit is a different thing that's that's something different and i'll i'll tell you what the the difference is primarily it's because the spirit of god convicting your heart does not lead to shame ever never what it leads to is conviction it leads to repentance And what does repentance lead to? It leads to freedom. Freedom from this. And how free is our freedom? I want you to ask yourself in your own mind this question. Do you believe, the psalmist in 103.12, when he says that God remembers your sin no more? Live like it. We all must live... In the forgiveness, in the mercy, in the grace of God, and guilt and shame have no place in that world. Conviction most certainly does. Repentance most certainly does, but not the others. I can—I I mean, I can—I can say with personal experience, utmost confidence that the the voice of your past is loud. But the voice of our Lord is louder. It may be softer, but it has greater power. Your origin cannot be changed. What is past is past. But your destination certainly can be. And it's important for us to realize that we all have sinful pasts. We may not have a full awareness of that. And that's that's okay. Some have a greater awareness than others, but it's all the same in terms of it separated us from God. But no matter what your past is, no one is out of the reach of the mercy of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 reads this, and such were some of you. Now, the such were some of you isn't simply that you were lost, but that you were really lost. I mean, you were in it. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. God's forgiveness changes everything. If we forgive or if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, John, I I get that. I believe that. But you know what? There are people... There are people in my life who won't let me forget my past. People remember the past. And there are some who seem to dedicate their lives to remind you of your past every chance they get. They try to categorize you. They try to label you. They try to ensure that you don't get beyond your station because of your your past. I, You know, if if, if you're ever... If you have ever, are now, or, uh, or ever will be in the future uh, in, that, in that context, just say, you know, that was my past. There's no need to dodge it. That was my past. But I don't live there anymore because of Jesus. And you know what? Mature believers, they understand this. They understand that a rough past is not an opportunity to condemn or to minimize or to, or to demean or to keep someone at arm's distance. They understand that it's an occasion for rejoicing, for such were some of you. What does that mean, for such were some of you? You no longer are. You're in the family of God. You're embraced, and it's not like you're out on the outside freezing to death to keep the really truly good ones in the middle warm. No, it's a full embrace. We were dead in our sins. Others' opinions of you, while they may be important, are not nearly as important as as the Lord. First Samuel sixteen seven says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not." Look on his appearance. Don't do it. Don't look on his height. Don't look on his stature. Because I have rejected him. This must have been one tall, strong, good-looking guy. Don't look on the outside. Because if you do, you're going to pick this guy. I haven't chosen him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In Christ, in Christ, we have a new heart. We have a new destiny. And others' opinions can and should change as they witness our life. Now, uh, I'm not a pie-in-the-sky guy. I'm as real as they get. Some consequences from past mistakes cannot be avoided. But being being condemned or being criticized or being minimized by another believer, hmm, that's not one. That's not a consequence that anyone should face because of their past life. Rather, growing in Christ, being faithful to him, that's our new Allah Galatians four, that's our new pattern. The second, not only did Hezekiah's past not hold him back. I mean, God, the guy's father was rotten. You know, this is an amazing thing how Hezekiah uh, was able to do what he did. Not only did his destiny not determine that, he didn't allow it. It didn't hold him back. Verse 3 says, in the first month of the first year of his reign, the first month of the first year of his reign. In other words, the first thing he did was to open the doors of the temple and repair them. He opened the doors of the temple and he repaired the doors. They were in such disrepair. I mean, and that shows you how bad it was when Hezekiah came into office. They were broken down, they were boarded up, and his first step was to open it up. Let's see what shape the temple is in. Uh, and uh, the next one is kind of a, it's more of a kind of a direct analogy sort of a thing here because 2 Chronicles, uh, Chronicles 29, 4 through 6 reads this he, he brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. So he brought in the priests and the Levites in order to clean this Mess out. Sometimes we need to do that. I mean, sometimes we need to clean the mess out of our lives. We've boarded up our worship. We've we've sealed God. We've averted our eyes from Him long enough to where there's been some clutter that's getting in there, and we need to we need to clear it out. And it was no easy job. I mean, we're we're told in uh, sixteen and seventeen that it took them sixteen days to clear out the temple. It took them over two weeks to clear out the temple uh, yeah I'm reminded uh, your mind may have already uh, gone there Hebrews 12:1 you know it encourages us to to throw off everything that that hinders that includes the controlling uh, behaviors uh, that are rooted in our in our past and the sins that have entangled our our, our lives and run with perseverance the race God, has marked out for you. This race, I believe, is a race that's marked out for you. It may involve teaching others through what you have learned through hard experience and God's grace. It might be comforting and encouraging others because of the things that you have experienced. And if you do that then your past, what it does is it becomes an opportunity for God to comfort His people. It's an opportunity for you to be in ministry. If you resist that, what you end up is staying in misery and sharing misery with others. Resting in the truth of Scripture regardless of your past, the Holy Spirit can use you, but it took 16 days to unload this mess in the temple. Uh, do you think that the emotional mess that it took the 16 years of Ahaz's reign to create was gone in 16 days? Not, not on your life. Uh, it takes, it takes time. I mean, you, and it's a long journey, uh, honestly. And you may feel like it's a long journey. It is. But in the strength of the Lord, it can be done. So we need every now and then, and, and I love because we, ideally, we'd be doing this every breaking of bread. We're going to check out our heart. Where am I at? What does it look like? How's, how, how am I doing before, before I take communion? And so it's never more than a week or shouldn't be more than a week. should be, of course, a, a daily process. But regardless, we take the time. Ecclesiastes 3.6 tells us that there's a, there's a time to throw things away. Some of your past, it may be time to throw it away. We throw things away because they are no longer useful to us. Some of those things are no longer uh, useful to us. But we are captivated by them sometimes. Hurtful memories, choices, they stir our brains. They, they affect our, our present behavior. But if we've gotten a, a bit of a mess in the, in the temple, clean it out. It's time to clean it out. You may need help, and that's okay. Okay. You may need to talk to a friend, and that's okay. A confidant, someone that you trust, and that's okay. You know, that's in part what the church is for. We're to encourage one another. What what do you think bearing one another's burdens mean? Helping them move a couch? (laughs) I mean, it could mean that, but that's not what it means. It's talking about the things that weigh on our hearts and our minds. Second Chronicles uh, 29, again, going on, 18 and 19. Uh, then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering and all the utensils, and the table for the showbread and all its utensils. All the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Everything is ready. I mean, Hezekiah has gotten everything uh, ready. They were ready to worship, but there were a couple of problems that they ran into. One, they had missed the Passover. They wanted to have the Passover. They wanted to have a temple ready for the Passover, but they had missed the Passover. And second, there just weren't a whole lot of priests running around to do this. I don't know if you've ever you've ever seen an animal butchered, I know that's kind of gross, but that's what a sacrifice is. What it takes to, for them to do a bullock, this is a big, is a big deal. Lots of manual labor. And there weren't a lot of priests left after Ahaz. And so they all have to get together and try to figure this out. How are we going to do this? The Levites had to go in and become a part of this, not just, not just the priests. So that leads us to the third and final thing we can learn from Hezekiah, at least for this moment. Is that God will take you where you are at. Where you are at right now. There are all kinds of circumstances. And I hear all the time, I have messed up too much. If that thought has ever crossed your heart and your mind, I want you to do something with me right now. I want you to check your pulse. I want you to feel if you're breathing. As long as you are alive, as long as you are here, restoration, redemption, reconciliation, being enfolded with a love in the family of God, is always there because our God is not just the God of second chances or third or fourth or fifth. God is the God of 70 times seven chances. No one can follow him perfectly. No one of us ever has or ever will. And some people, they get this notion in their mind, Well, I've been a drug addict, or I've lived an immoral life, or I've had a divorce, or I've been in prison. It's too late for God to restore me. That's a lie. The Scripture says, whosoever will. Those are the voices, listen, those are the voices of men and women. That's not the voice of God. It's never too late god is always able to give new life and he wants to how far had israel turned away from god um the word completely comes to my mind they had idols in every village they had idols in every city priests were not welcome priests were not trained the doors to the temple were shut down And yet under Hezekiah's leadership, in the matter of a couple of months, this was all restored. The Lord specializes in restoring the year of the locust. But the day for Passover had come and gone. God had provided, those of you who know the Bible already know this, God had provided another option. If you didn't make it, if you couldn't make it for whatever reason on the fir- 14th day of the, the first month, you could do it on the 14th day of the second month. And so that's what they did. And they patterned this entire celebration after the celebration that was during uh, Solomon's temple. They even restored the, the instruments and the kinds of things that were used when Solomon had this. And it was a huge celebration. Verse 27 says, Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar. And as the offering began, singing to the Lord began also. Accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of David, king of Israel. Uh, They had this tremendous celebration. According to verse 33, they sacrificed 600 bulls. 3,000 goats and sheep and all these thank offerings to the Lord. It was to the Lord, and, but it was also to feed uh, the people. And it was supposed to last for a week. It ended up lasting uh, two weeks, exactly as the celebration had with Solomon. And then Hezekiah took the people back to worship. From a place of no worship to worship. In Revelation 2, 4, and 5, Jesus gave a message to one of the churches in Asia. We talked about this last year. Yet I, have, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. In, in all their activity, the church had forgotten to love the Lord himself like they did at the beginning a forgiven heart. If you're struggling with love for the Lord, don't think about love for the Lord. Lord, I need to love you more. I need to... No, think about, oh, God, what have you forgiven me for? You forgave me for this, and for this, and for this, and the love will just naturally arise. If you think that God can't use you, or that there's too much clutter... I'm here to tell you that it's not true. It's never too late to remember. It's never too late to return. When we're off track, there's just one thing that we need, and that is Jesus. Him crucified, buried, resurrected, and that same Jesus is coming back to... Bring us with Him. We be with Him forever and ever. And that's an amazing thought. Father, some of us have wrestled with rough beginnings or perhaps rough patches in the middle, some rough patches at the end. Whatever the season of life wherever we are you have a keen understanding and loving view of it all allow us to open our eyes not hide it not hide from you allow let us allow you to exchange the ashes that we bring for the beauty that you give just as you did in the life of Hezekiah. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.